Welcome to a world inside of another. Let me introduce you to my friends and brothers. We live amongst the trees where... That is the beauty of the black experience in America, and that's really what I wanted to shine in the show. Even though we've talked so much, and I always talk so much about the pain and the, you know, the trauma of being enslaved, or the overarching theme in our history is how resilient we are. And not just that we can get through it, but that we can laugh that, through it, right. and we have joy through it, and we make songs through it. That's Ashley St. Armand and Monique Jones, the creator and choreographer of a brand new theatrical production called North, Untold Stories of the Underground Railroad. These two women are bringing this brand new show to Chandler, Arizona next month while they continue to work on bringing more diversity to children's music and the arts inside the classroom. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. This is great. So you have a brand new stage work, a musical theater production coming out north that's yep. premiering this fall for the very first time, correct? Yes. So exciting. It has been commissioned in four different U.S. cities, including Chandler, Arizona. So again, congrats. And I first would like to know each of your professional trajectories and your background and passions towards arts and music. Yeah. Shoot. All right, I guess I'll go first. I love dance education. That's what I do. It's my passion. Um, and so I've been involved in this since the beginning. Where I was talking earlier today when we were working with the students at the Chandler High School. I started doing children's musicals in the church. So my first introduction to musical theater and music was my faith-based community and just having an opportunity to grow up in that and then become a choreographer in that. And then from there, just taking dance classes and really recognizing, you know, the power of arts, education, theater, dance, music, um, visual arts, all of that. And then went to high school, the arts in Los Angeles and moved on to UCLA and got in my degree in world art and culture and minor in education because I knew I was going to do something with the arts. I started my business, Monique's Creative Movement solely to be able to take arts education into the classrooms and to underprivileged communities that would not have the opportunity to, you know, necessarily have a parent that could take them to a dance class or this or that. And so it's been my passion. It's been my work. And so I just I love it. And so that's what I've been doing in, in, in any way possible, being able to showcase students to be able to broaden their experience their experience and their community and their connection to culture and art and love of drama, music, and dance. So, And students of all ages. Yeah. Yes, students of all ages. Including me? Okay. Yeah, she was my one of my students. Oh, is that how you that's met? How, that's yeah. how we met. Yeah. Oh, and that was in Los Angeles where you also teach. and. Yeah, so um, I'm in the L.A. O.C. area. Big ups to O.C. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the orange curtain, as they say. Um I, you know, my mom says I came out of the womb singing and I don't have a fearful bone in my body. So I was the kind of kid who would be tap dancing down the aisles of the grocery store and, you know, asking people like, have you met my mom? Do you want to hear a song? Like, you know, (laughs) following people to their cars. Um, I was always that kind of kid. And so um, started taking dance classes and started with musical theater probably around 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. 
And then I had a wonderful drama teacher in seventh grade who just really told me I had something special and honed that in me. And um, I went to an arts high school as well, Orange County High School of the Arts. Rivalry. (laughs) 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 No, we're friends. Um, And really was able to be immersed in an environment where I could shine and I could, you know, celebrate my difference. And um, I, I also had a passion for the arts as well as education. I grew up in a daycare home. My mother had a daycare while I was growing up. And so, you know, I was a high school kid singing like, you know, the Wiggles at school <laughs> because that was always in my head. And I didn't know at the time that, that was for me. I thought I'm, you know, a musical theater person. I'm going to Broadway. I originally went to college for theater um, with the intent to move to New York to literally go to Broadway. And then I had babies and my life Mm. path changed a little bit. And in the meantime, uh, my mom went from a preschool teacher to a preschool music teacher. My mom started doing music programs for other people's preschools. And she said, you know, you're you're probably a great candidate for this. Um, you, you know, you're a musical theater person, you can sing and dance, um, you love education, and you have kids, and you could probably take your kids with you mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. So that's kind of how I got started. And I started my music program, which is called Leaping Lizards Music, which is, um, it was originally a preschool music program. Mm-hmm. And then um, I started making up songs, and because kids would say, you know, do you have a song about monsters? I'm like, mm, I'll see you next week, you know. <laughs> yep. So I'd write a song. And I kept writing songs. And then the teachers would say or the parents would say, you know, where do you, where do I get this song? Because my kid keeps singing it. I was like, oh, I just made it up. So they were saying, oh, you should make an album or something. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend who had a home studio. And I said, you know, should we, you know, do something? And he was like, oh, I've been wanting you to ask me to do something like this for a long time. So he charged me like $4, basically, um, to record this record. And then people were like, well, when's the album release party? And I was like, is that a thing? You know, (laughs) so I actually called Monique because I was taking her... Uh, I was, it's so funny because I've told this story many times, but I've never sat next to her while I've said it. So I'm like, oh, my God. It's cool. Full circle. I know. Um, so I called Monique, who was my West African dance teacher at the time. And I said, um, I don't have a band or anything, but I play guitar. I have some songs. Would you be willing to be like a backup dancer? And she's like, yeah, m- me and my friend can do it together. And so that was our first party, our album release party. And wow. it was like 300 people. Yes. It was. A, wow. Yeah. So at the same time that she was doing that, I was teaching dance in preschools and in home daycares and so all of her music was coming out and so I would do all these songs and all of the directors were like where is that album and I was like where'd you ask so I'm release party and so I got a chance to have like six of my centers all come down to the album release party to see it and um you know those kids they're like 10 12 now those kids who went to see that and so they still talk about ready and you know so, so our, our, lives, and <laughs> our lives have continued to like cross paths and yeah. then move away and come together so mm-hmm. you know the long story short is that you know I realized I had something and I went to a conference and then I found out that people do kids music for a living like not just going to preschools which right. is a wonderful career in itself mm-hmm. but that people were recording artists and making you know good money on that and getting Grammys. I didn't know that you could get a Grammy in kids music. I was like, that's a thing? Like, for real? Yeah. And had been sitting next to these two guys who were really friendly and nice to me through this conference, and then turned out that they had just won the the Grammy. And so, you know, I just, I I 
started building community. And one thing I learned at that conference was they said, you know, you can't just do kids music. It has to be your thing. What's your thing? So I went home and I thought, well, you know, literally my thing is New Orleans jazz because my family, my mother's side is from New Orleans, at least seven generations, but as far as we can trace. Mm -hmm. So I started making music specifically with New Orleans jazz and early jazz in mind. Um, And so... You know, then called Monique again, and then we had, like, jazzy costumes. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I was with the ukulele instead, and then eventually developed a band, a jazz band. And so that band toured for a long time. It is still touring, um, and I was calling myself. And, like, why am I saying it? Like, it's not no longer a thing. Um, I developed the band Jazzy Ash and the Leaping Lizards. Right. Oh, so cool. before, we were just the Leaping Lizards as the the trio of the dancers and I, and then Jazzy Ash and the Leaping Lizards. And so that took off like a rocket. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know that there was, you know, a great lack of diversity in children's music at that time. Um, That's gotten better, by the way, which is great news. Um, And then a lot of women who record children's music, but for whatever reasons didn't tour. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of venues were looking for female-fronted bands. We're looking for multicultural bands, and so we kind of fit the mold, plus our music was like the bomb. It's great. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I've made a wonderful career of that. I've been to 36 states um, with that wow. show. And then our music, you know, we started making music videos and that, and so um, my last EP, Good Foot, um, mm. with the band, uh, I wanted to make a music video, and I called Monique. Oh, wow. And no I had, way. And I had this song... Um, Called Be um, Outside. Called Be Outside. Mm. That I had written years before, but then the pandemic hit, it and being just... outside was like such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so Monique's like, I got the the perfect girls for the video. We had four young ladies who dance in the video, and Monique, yeah, and my and, and my dog, because the song's really about like taking him outside to play. But yes. then it just became this anthem for being outside, and really like this like uh, protest song about like I deserve to be outside. I'm gonna wear my mask, but like we need this, and it. Took off like rockets. Yeah. It's my best selling song yet, ever. So um, we'll see and you up on me... some of these award shows pretty yeah, soon, maybe. right? The Grammys for yeah. the kids stuff. So, I mean, I, I and I also started writing at that time. Okay. So, oh, because you do voiceover for children's books. No, I don't. So, oh. so I don't do the voiceovers, but I write. You write, write audio books. Oh, well, yeah. Even more impressive. You know, I wanted to, but we have this. I wanted to do the voiceovers for my project, um, but we ended up commissioning um, this wonderful voiceover artist named Bonnie Turpin. And she's done voiceovers for a lot of well-known books, specifically from um, African-American novelists, um, The Hate You Give and um, The Help and some wonderful uh, um, Colton Whitehead's Underground Railroad. And so she's just phenomenal. Um, But I ended up writing a, a book for Audible, like an original Audible program because they were looking for original content for children specifically. Wow. So I wrote this story called Viva Durant and the Secret of the Silver Buttons. And Fabulous, by the way. It, it is. Thank you. It's my girl right here. And uh, anyway, it, it did really well and um, it got on the New York Times bestsellers list wow. in 2019 and then the pandemic hit and then I got a multi-book deal so I started writing for them a lot. And that's really what I had been doing for the last several years and so making this musical really ended up being a culmination of all the things I've ever done, you know, mm-hmm. um, dancing with Monique and writing music and writing stories and developing my storytelling style really kind of brought me to this point. Wow. 
That's an amazing story. <laughs> I love hearing people that can dip their toes into so many different things but still stay, like, incredibly focused and successful. Well. Because that's <laughs> – I mean, that's – right? Yeah. Right. Um, so how recently – so your musical is set in the 1850s mm-hmm. based on actual accounts of yeah. slave escapes throughout the Underground Railroad Network. I want to know basically about the title – how your personal family history of overcoming slavery in Louisiana, how much that takes the stage throughout the story. And before we get into all that, first of all, how recently was it since you were saying this is kind of a culmination of things? So how recently did you decide in your mind that this is the time to do this? Or was it kind of over this huge amount of time that it just came together at this moment? I had the idea maybe three or four years ago. Um, I was talking to my kids about Black History Month, and I said, oh, what do you know about this person and that person? And they knew much a decent amount of things about, like, Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. And then I said, well, what do you know about the Underground Railroad? And they were like, what's that? So that was, like, a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started thinking about my own experience, and I'm sure Monique can identify with the lack of um, understanding about what really happened at that time. And mm-hmm. as black students and sometimes as black students in a classroom full of non-black students, that can be really traumatizing. And it it sounds so one-dimensional. So that really started the journey for me as like, how do I want to tell the story of people from that time in a way that feels more uh, true to life, more human Mm -hmm. and multifaceted? And so I started kind of tulling ideas around. And then when I was writing um, Viva Durant and the Secret of the Silver Buttons, my producer and I had the idea to go to New Orleans to create, or excuse me, we went to New Orleans to record live sounds that would be in the book Oh wow! Um, because the book takes place in New Orleans. And so while I was there, I wanted to visit the town of Vachery where my family was enslaved. I knew that they were enslaved there maybe four generations back and beyond. So that was in 2019. And I ended up visiting this uh, plantation called Oak Alley Plantation. And it changed everything for me. And I don't even just mean my creative process for that project. It changed my perspective about my, my relationship with my ancestors. I learned while I was there by a Google search that my family had been enslaved next door to the plantation that I was visiting. So the people that I had just learned about probably knew my family members. And it really set the tone for this show. And something that was really magical was it's called Oak Alley Plantation because there's these two rows of incredible oak trees that envelop the walkway. And they, they're just so striking and they were designed that way to be opulent. But the tour guide said, imagine what these trees have seen and what they've witnessed. And that just blew me away. I ended up writing the song, Oh, What These Trees Have Seen, which was the first of many songs that I ended up writing for the musical. So that's how I decided to actually base the show in Louisiana. I hadn't planned to originally, but I felt so pressed by my ancestors to do so. And then I could talk all day about the crazy happenstances that have happened since then that have influenced this show. Um, And so it's been a continuous journey of writing the show. In fact, we start rehearsals next week, but we were just talking in the car that (laughs) we're going to keep on making little changes um, Mm -hmm. because I'm open. I'm open to, you know, the possibilities and and what, what I'm to learn. Absolutely. In in some of the song that you mentioned, the lyrics said the roots about 100 years. Is that in relation directly to the last four generations? Is that kind of those? those, I'm sorry. I mean, oh, no, I was just listening. And I was trying to like, why did why is it 100 years? Well, the oak trees that I saw at Oak Alley Plantation right now are 300 years old. Our story takes place in the 1850s. So they would have been 100 years old at that time. So 
they would have experienced a hundred years of whatever happened on that land. And I wanted to sort of address that in that lyric. And how important was it for you to listen and connect to the lyrics? And was it kind of something you understood right away? So the process is a little bit different. We, I have a connection to the storyline in terms of my own family roots and, and coming from a, a, a family that is... We end up in Kansas, in Lawrence, Kansas, but my family's roots are from Nicodemus. And so we have, I have this this um, connection to ancestry and community that I felt automatically from reading the, the screen, to reading reading the, the screenplay. Well, I say screenplay, from reading <laughs> the script. Right. And so that song is so striking. And so it's almost too scary to actually choreograph to so it wasn't one of the songs that we actually are choreographing to because the lyrics just you know speaks for itself so there wasn't a needing for movement in terms of like something that happened at that time but it is a piece of music I would love to choreograph to because I do I do see things but the choreographic process for a lot of the the work was uh, what we did today with my students. We did a lot of improv, understanding the themes of the storyline. And so it's not just um, taking the song and then just putting choreography to it. It is really weaving and crafting the story and making sure that the movement is doing that just as well as the character's development is, just as well as the costumes and the props that we really are a collaborative process. So it is for me having to like, yes, know, know the lyrics and understand the lyrics, but also understand what are the mindset of the sing- of this person who's singing this and what's happening and what do they need to do, what do they need to feel, and how do I invoke that in movement? And so that's really important when you're working with a depth of truth and a depth of something that you really want it to live past just this experience. Like I want it to live in the students' minds and in our audience's minds, the movement, the feeling of what it felt like for these characters to be in these different places and for them to see the trees and know what they have seen and to be able to understand that your journey is a part of that now. That how you leave and how where you are in this space is going to be a part of what these trees see. So mm-hmm. I think that's how um, I approach the choreographic work you know, when when doing the, the work with Ashley. So it's it's been amazing. I love what you said a little bit earlier today about Okay, so if you're thinking about the theme of hope, mm-hmm. what does hope look like in your body? Yeah, you know, what does that look like in your body? The struggle, the humanity connection, you know, you know, all of those things are are the themes that I work with in terms of this. Those are the universal themes of the of the musical, and so those are the things that I work with in terms of improving that out, so I can get to the movement vocabulary and then get to the motifs that I want to actually put into choreography for the dancers to do. I know this is your job, but I want to ask you a question. <laughs> sure. <laughs> about the most beautiful choreography in the show, which is Minnie's dance for 900 for Lawrence. I want to know how you got there. It's just... Can you set up the scene for yes. us? Set up the scene. Me? Yes, yeah. you set up the scene. Um, so the song is called 900 for Lawrence because literally Lawrence, our main character, is to be sold for $900. And his mother catches wind of this. And she doesn't have words. What is there to say in response to that? I am the author of this work, and I couldn't put words to it. So I wrote music instead, and I gave that to Monique as a baby. And so I started with the intentionality and the motions of her being— so my grandmother was a cook and a a servant— 
And so we have generations of that. So I, I remember stories of having to hear things that they thought was funny that was not funny and or things that were really personal and how she had to keep her composure in those moments. But the pain of having to realize whatever was being said. Um, and so I, I came from that perspective. And so the um, the emotion of just when she can allow herself to really absorb all of what she's hearing and really recognize that, you know, they're talking about my child. Like he's he's a piece of property and he's going to be sold. And so just the, the motif, there's a motif of having to scrub or clean and then having to catch yourself like wanting to go crazy in this moment because you have a job to do. She can't just, you know, she has to finish her job. She has to keep her composure. So the motif of just that angst of having to bottle your emotions up. And as African-American women, we have to bottle our emotions up. We have to, we have to bottle a lot of times our emotions up. And then how do you, you know, let that out? And so that was where that came from. That's where the emotionality of of the choreography and the motif of the, you know, just having this frantically scrubbing, frantically doing things and then having to stop and like breathe and just recognize what, Boy, I, I still am at work. I'm still here. I can't, I can't freak out. I have to hold it together. And so that's where that came from. It's it's just beautiful. And um, in the scene, Minnie's wearing an apron, and the way Monique did the choreography, where she's using her hands to gather up this apron with her anxiety, and then she eventually balls it up into a ball mm-hmm. that sort of looks like her, her a baby. baby in her womb. Yeah, it's just wow. so. Um, I was. As you've been talking, I was thinking about a quote I read. It was just a silly meme, like, about how when someone is born, they sing before they talk, dance maybe before they know how to do certain things. Mm -hmm. So through this work that you've both um, put your heart into, how do you believe that in some way— I believe that there's generational trauma that just gets passed down no matter what. Mm -hmm. So do you think that that through this work that's part of like, I mean, it sound I I don't mean it to sound like simple, but part of a healing process for you and for everyone else and something that was just kind of coming through you, I guess, in a way. I actually, I actually believe that we've, we've been. We were just talking, talking about, about that. That's why we're kind of giggling. <laughs> we're talking it's about not a funny thing you're saying. It's we're really, like, it's really, you know, it's confirmational because exactly we have ex- we, we experience a lot of things, trauma, and and it is trauma bonding and that gets passed down. And in this work, as much as North is about slavery, it is about the hope of being accepted in the places, in these spaces where you belong. But you have to go through that process. You have to go through a journey to, to, to find your voice and who you are and your community, your people that you that accept you and love you and that are there for you. And so, yes, it, it, all of those things, I think, have spoken to e- even my own personal healing process, just as, a you know, being able to do a work like this and, and be able to, to speak Knowing that I love to speak to children audiences, but also understand how important this context is for everyone to see. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, God has allowed me to be able to be the vessel to help usher in a season of healing in this way. Mm-hmm. And some of the work that has been done for myself in movement is also being carried out in the work that I'm doing with North. I completely agree, and I think our cast and our crew would agree, too. And um, 
I'm thinking about one cast member in particular who plays Tam in the show. And by the way, you were asking me earlier, you know, how how is this work reflected in my own family, in my own family story? Um, this person came to me quite by accident. I learned about the community of Maroons by sitting next to a lady at a Pride Festival in San Francisco who happened to have just moved to San Francisco from New Orleans. What did she do in New Orleans? She was a historian at a plantation. Of course she was. Um, These people who were called Maroons who um, escaped slavery, but then they wouldn't move north. They would move into the bayous, and they would build community there, and they could hide themselves in these really ingenious ways and... um, and there was all this intricate detail that I found really fascinating. So she gave me this book, and it was about Maroons across the United States and in the Caribbean, but there were chapters on Louisiana. And I read about this man named Tam, who they called Tam the Brave, because sometimes Maroons would work for non-slave-owning plantation owners, but then they would have to go collect the money. And even though they didn't own slaves, it didn't necessarily mean they were sympathetic to freedom seekers. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that could be a very dangerous task. And so he was the brave one who would go and have the boldness to ask for what they deserved, imagine. Mm. And he was enslaved on the St. Armand Plantation in 1780s. Oh, my God. So when I say my family is seven generations in this area, but with Tam, that's like 11. Wow. I believe he's got to be my great uncle something. Yeah. Like it's not by accident yeah. that I discovered him. And so he's now a prominent character in the show and also along with the other characters teaches our main characters not just a way out but a way of another way of living right <laughs> and so we have this actor named Ethan who was in the workshop is now going to do the tour and he's this like big muscular guy and he came in and he's like hey everybody like he had a very like <laughs> musical theater like you know yeah. and we're like great now we need to see your grit and he was having such a hard time tapping into that and so we worked with him. Our co-producer spent a lot of time talking to him about his character. And then I remember the first time he came out in his costume, I was like, okay, muscles, you better flex on us. You know, it was this whole thing. <laughs> and then, you know, we had the workshop. I call him to hire him for the tour. And he just got quiet. And I was like, I thought he was going to be like, oh, this is so exciting. And he's like, I think this changed my life. Yeah. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I have spent so much time, you know, you're talking about bottling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I spent so much time bottling up my blackness and my muscles, and my grit, trying to be approachable, Mm -hmm. try not to scare white people, trying Mm -hmm. to fit in in this world we call theater. And here we are saying, we actually want all of that. Mm -hmm. We want you to embrace all of that. He was like, that was challenging. You know, those are the kinds of experiences that we continue to have as we develop the show. It really has become our church. Yeah, Mm -hmm. our opportunity for us to have our hallelujah moments, our sad moments. Our crazy, joyous moments. Yeah, it's been it's been that kind of process. And it's been fun. Yeah. I read the list of some of your musical inspirations, but when I think of um, certain artists, like, I mean, Miles Davis is a really easy example, but he was like the greatest Mm -hmm. and so soulful. So I feel like how um, is it interpreted in the play that like that deep of pain, which I'm assuming goes deeper than most, how does that bring you to such light and spirituality? I think, first of all, that is the beauty of the black experience in America. And that's really what I wanted to shine in the show. Even though we've talked so much, and I always talk so much about the pain and the 
you know, the trauma of being enslaved, the overarching theme in our history is how resilient we are. And not just that we can get through it, but that we can laugh through it. And we have joy through it. And we make songs through it. And I, as a student, am so enamored and in awe of all the things and all the music and all the arts that black folks have made throughout our entire history of being in this land. Um, Folks like Miles Davis had a very complicated life. You think about actually more recently, I've been thinking a lot about soul music. Mm -hmm. You know, the 1960s were tumultuous for all black people. And then you got James Brown (laughs) and you got like, you know, the temptations and you got like cheeky songs about love. Like, how did they find that? space exactly it wasn't all protest music mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's what really fascinates me i'm mm-hmm. also interested in the protest music and the and and how they dealt with the pain through the arts as i do in this piece mm-hmm. but we also have songs that are really silly about yeah. like playing hide and seek yes mm. you know Be- okay so expand a little bit on that i'm curious about the hide and seek aspects yeah and could you also go into a little bit about i think you already touched on north and the how there north. were or uh, just the title so i guess both with hide and seek and the title song north um, are about hope and about ingenuity and a little bit of naivete um, both those songs are sung by our main character, Lawrence, who is, is a teenager, and he just has big dreams. And he hasn't been quite as tainted as many about how dangerous the big wide world could be. Mm-hmm. That he, It hasn't actually dawned on him that they won't make it. Minnie's totally mm-hmm. fearful. And he's like, but mom, there are people out there who wear like fancy clothes and they look like us. You know, there's people out there who like And the things he lists, it kind of breaks my heart to think about because they're so simple. Like they go to stores and they get to buy stuff with their own money. Like, you know, Mm. those kind of concepts. And I think about that even today, right? And that's an overarching theme for me as well, is that I want these characters to feel relatable. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, Lawrence is just a teenage kid with big dreams who's not afraid. And he's like, but mom, it could be great, you know? And so Hide and Seek, it's a song that happens before we find out what he's really been involved in in terms of planning an escape. And um, so we hear him, we hear how ingenious and sneaky he can be. And this is sort of a foreshadowing to, like, he's going to need those skills. In a lot of ways, what both the characters learn is that they need each other. Yeah, They need Minnie the mom to be cautious, to be on alert, you know, Mm -hmm. to think on her feet. But you also need Lawrence's, you know, blind hope and um, his fearlessness. Yeah. We out here in the mine. We out here in the mine. Start your life over and make it brand new. So, what is the we most difficult part about starting a new production like this? Or was were you kind of always in the flow? The creative process has been pretty beautiful yeah. and easy. Everybody on our team is top notch. A hundred percent in on it. Um, it's just been really great. I'm. I feel like we're family at this point. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, we were already family in like different ways. And so now, like all of my families together, it feels like a big potluck. Like it just made sense. Yeah. Everything coming together. Yeah. The challenging parts have been logistics. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I was just saying, like, if I had known, <laughs> but I think I still would have done it. Yeah. Um. 
But there's so many little details um, involving hiring people and, you know, payroll. And, like, you know, I had grandiose, excuse me, I had grandiose ideas about sets. I was like, oh, we're going to build these sets that are going to have these pieces that, like, hang off and blah, blah, blah. And they're going to be made of stone or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then my co-producer's like, how are we going to ship that? And I was like, oh, shipping. (laughs) You know, like. Right. So Of course. But in that same way, our team Mm -hmm. has been amazing to say, okay, I see your vision. Here's how it can come to fruition in a reasonable way that won't break the bank and those kind of things. Um, I want to speak to the, I think the reason why we've been able to artistically flow so well is the writing of North is amazing. It lives on its own. Like if you just read the script, it lives. And that is when I got it, I was like, Oh my God. Like it, And so I don't have to, like pick her brain. Like I know exactly, you know what she is. It she she laid it out very well. She's up, and I was <laughs> we were saying, talking about this in the car. Like I knew she was a a writer. I knew she. I I know the the jazz yeah side, the musical side, the all of that. But to really get into the depths of her, the thoughtfulness of her writing, the historical relevance of her writing, and then to do it in a way that really just speaks off the, the pages. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm dyslexic, so I put the script into my my reader for me so I could read, oh. and then it would be like the stage directions, and I would be like, so then I could mm-hmm. like see it, and I'm like, oh my <laughs> God. So it, that really is attributing factor to how the flow of us as a committee of artists working together is because the writing is so well done and she surrounds herself with people who are really expert at what they at they do. So we want her to cast her vision, and then we want to be able to really back in and go. I don't have a big, I don't have enough time to teach the cast the whole. Like when I heard the the last song, North, I was like, I want a full on, yeah, you know, I was like, I need a full on dance number. And then realizing like really how that is set, I was like, I can't, I can't do a full on. Now with so, six people, I can't. Would you say it's more minimalist? In terms of dance, costume, and no. no, no, okay, I wouldn't say that. It's just I, we have limitations. We have limitations, mm. and we have to respect the confines of what is happening. And again, like I said earlier, my job is to help tell the story. And my job isn't to have one dance stand out. It's it's not a concert production of of choreography that needs to be seen. It needs to live within the space of the musical and it needs to be able to help complement. So if I'm painting a picture, if I'm helping her paint a picture, like my lines and colors have to bridge in and blend into what's happening. And so I feel like all of us, our, our costume designer, set people, all of us have, we're expert at what we do, but we also understand the collaborative work that we have to, that we're doing now. And so that's, yeah, like there's parameters, yeah. but then within those parameters, we've pushed everybody to the limit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even our workshop itself, they had four days to learn that. And most workshops are just, you know, you have the script and some the music stands. And they read. It. I and mean, this is a reading. We were testing wow. costumes. We were testing set ideas. We were set, testing light ideas, sound Testing cues. choreography. Yeah. How was it going to work with the lighting? How was it going to, you know, all of those all of those major things were really being tested doing, and doing that run. So it was it was like... And, you know, for example, like we have six performers, but I wrote the show for 18 people. So we have six people playing 18. So this is for sure a maximalist show. (laughs) It's just the confines are six people. Yeah. You know, we have grandiose ideas about costuming, but can we change costumes that quickly? You know, Uh, so 
Yeah. But it's even the costuming, like, you know, so our costume designer, I know, we're just like, we mm-hmm. can't wait. Um, amazing. Was she? I don't know. That's kind of cool for me. I love seeing an actor who can be a different character five minutes later. Yeah, it's it's incredible. They're incredible. Yeah. Who are some voices, um, whether they be singers or artists, that maybe were a voice for you at some point or that maybe kind of were just sitting at the back of your mind during the making of this production? I think, you know, one of our underrated jazz performers, um, Fats Waller, is a really big influence for me. He's just so playful um, with his words and with his um, with his phrasing. Girl, yeah. yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with his phrasing and, you know, I think that's the same thing we were just saying, right? Like doing so much with so little. Like he's not... He's not playing with an orchestra. Mm-mm. I mean, my son's name is Ellington because I love Duke Ellington. So obviously I love big orchestral things. But then you've got one guy with a plunky piano and he's just like having a ball. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. even for us. Mm-hmm. When I listen to Fat, Fats Waller, he's having it for, for himself. himself. <laughs> you know? It's like that private. And he's, even there's these lines, you know, he'll sing like the actual lyrics. And then he's like, oh, man, I, I don't know about that. You know, like whatever. <laughs> like, who's he talking to? You know, I love that. And so always remembering the playfulness. Um, and the, yeah. you know, sort of the improvisational aspect of, of creating. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't not mention Ella Fitzgerald. Oh I mean, God. there's yeah. just something just mesmerizing about her voice. If you meant like literal voices, that's, mm-hmm. she's, she's an incredible influence for me. And then um, when Steven Sondheim died, I needed like a whole 24 hours. I was like, Ooh. nobody talked to me. Like... That man's work changed my life. Wow. And when did he come into your life? Um, I mean, West Side Story was my first musical. I played Anita in high school. And (laughs) I don't know if I can say curse words on here, but I I played the shit out of Anita. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The development of character. And I know he didn't write that show. He was the lyricist for that show. But, I mean, that's most of the show. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just... The, the practice of spending time with characters, like their family members, like their people that you know, um, was something that I really gleaned from him. And that is a big part of how I helped to choreograph some of the things that we needed to, to understand. So going back to Tam the Brave, wanting to be able to really work collaboratively with um um, Ashley and Isaiah and, to, and the character development to be in those meetings where as they were talking about that so I can be able to to embody have that movement to embody who they are so it wasn't like I was just putting on movement that I was really taking a study of this character and then that how is that character going to move how is that character going to reach how is that character going to do that and so because you have to do that that was the the work that really was so invaluable in terms of making certain things that did really fit for each of the characters mm-hmm. um, but for me I was I think I was telling Ashley this the other day um, Maya Angelou is like for me, everything, um, just as much as she was a writer and a poet and a singer and a dancer, just all of those things. But the hope that she carries and the the pride of who she is. And, and so I think um, if it had to be one voice, that would probably be the voice that was helping me through this uh, segment of of the choreography process. Yeah. And then I, th- I don't think I can go on without mentioning all the real people who actually experienced all these things. You know, Minnie and Lawrence are not 
real people, their characters, but the experiences that they had in the show happened to real people. And that causes me to pause even to this day. Mm-hmm. The show is all but finished mm-hmm. in terms of writing. And I'm still struck every time when certain things happen in the show where I'm like, oh, my God, somebody did that. Mm-hmm. Many people did that. And when you're considering the folks who were seeking their freedom, who were largely undereducated, who had limited resources, who were leaving family members behind, like all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about people like Henry Box Brown, who mailed himself out of freedom, like literally got someone to put him in a box and ship him to Philadelphia. Oh, my God. And he almost died, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And then when he, saw, when he got his freedom, he um, moved to the U.K. and started a magic show with that same box, and he became a magician. Oh, like, my gosh. Come on. Right, right. <laughs> like, these are our people. Yeah. These are the stories untold, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, It wasn't just they were all slaves, they died, the end. Right. It just mm-hmm. is simply untrue, and it's it's disrespectful. Or they, or, or I call her children, my nephews. Or like my nephews thought it was really a train that took them under yeah. the ground somewhere. Like Because you say Underground Railroad, so you think, where's the train station? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you exactly. know, where is it? It's, it is these different places and spaces where they had to hide and be there and live and find community until it was time to go to the next place. And our characters make these discoveries along with our audience. Right. So like they go to the train station. And they're like, well, where is the train? And he's like, no, we mm-hmm. met at the train, but we're not going to get on a train. The, the One of the first places they go is to um, Genevieve's house, who's a free woman of color. And they see her and they're like, why is she wearing all them fancy clothes? Like, her master going to be mad? And she's like, uh, these are my clothes. This is my house. You know, that's unfathomable to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's unfathomable to most American adults, right? We think all right. black folks were enslaved at that time. Right. Um, it just wasn't the case. A lot of these stories are going to be like brand new stories, I feel like. Yeah. Stuff that hasn't necessarily been... Not necessarily documented, but things that, of course, I haven't heard and that, like, audiences everywhere, you know? I think the gentle way that we do that in this piece is, like I said, for the characters to discover it, too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, they they discover the maroon community, too. They're like, oh, you live out here? Like, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Because I didn't know people lived out there. Mm -hmm. I was at that pride parade going, they lived out there? You know? So that's, like, my own accounts Mm -hmm. put into the words of these characters. I just want to know what makes, what brings you the most joy about this production? And you had said something about, of course, wanting, both of you are educators um, and wanting to bring um, to your kids like these stories just so they know and they have the actual real historic documentations. What can you say that this makes me happy and this is like my message, kind of like... um, What's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say your philosophy statement. That sounds like college, yeah, but you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, as like as grandiose as the costuming and the music and the sets are, my favorite part about this production already are the conversations that come from it. Yes. Just talking about this show, I've had such fascinating conversations with people who have their own family accounts of escape or not even that you know people say like oh I'm from this small town in fill in the blank state 
and in my town this happened and then or you know I have a friend who's you know a friend of the project who's been supporting it um who is you know an ABC actor star grown black man and he's like I never knew people lived in the bayous. Like, what? Like, you know, how Mm -hmm. am I 40-something years old and I've never heard this? And so we talked for, like, hours about that and what that must have been like. And, you know, I have spent many a long night with a cup of tea talking to folks, uh, you know, and having follow-up conversations just yesterday. Mm -hmm. Just yesterday morning. um, I actually, so, uh, you know, like two weeks ago, I had an opportunity to just share with um, the um, Lawrence, Kansas chapter of the NAACP. Mm-hmm. And about this piece. And then a woman who was there shared with me that another woman she knew chose not to come because she's a black lady and she just didn't think she could talk about slavery anymore. She heard that the show was about slavery and she's like, I don't think I can do this. And so I said, I want to meet her. If she's willing, I'd love to have coffee with her before I leave town. And so that's what we did yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. And I'm glad she didn't understand, you know, because that's another kind of conversation that I can have about this. I don't need this always to be like, you're so smart and like this piece is so genius or whatever. Like, that's not why I made this piece. I want to talk to the people who are challenged by this. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been really beautiful and spiritually uplifting for me. Yeah. For me, I was telling the students, the rose of this is that it brings me to a place where I can be able to have audience have what I feel like is exploration and discovery. They get to have exploration and discovery all in this one place and space, and then they get to come out of it and then decide how they want to interpret it, how they want to process it, how they want to take the mess, the universal messages of hope and community and discovery and fearlessness and all of that, and, and then begin to live their life in a different way. So I think that's, you know, my big rose and the thorn is that, you know, I can't go to every show. I can't be at everything, you know, and I can't have every conversation with every person. Um, but I know that the work is going to live. And so that makes that makes it all the better. I know that someone's going to have a conversation. I know that whatever community and people that come, they're going to have a conversation about what they thought about the musical. And hopefully it sparks, let me go look up Maroon. Let me go look up, what, what is that? You know, yeah. hope it, that's the, the goal as an educator is for us to lift out and lead before people. And then they get to pick it up and research and discuss it and have those dialogues. So that that's, you know, what I'm excited about. There's a lot of unanswered questions in yeah. the show. Yeah. and. That's intentional. Yeah. And sometimes people ask me, they're like, but is John Brown a good guy or a bad guy? I don't know. They end up in Canada, spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, people are like, but what happens when they get to Canada? I don't know. Right. And that last song, which is like now the the crew favorite. Love it. um, You know, it talks about like, there's a stream. Where does it go? There's an opportunity. Take it. Where, where does it lead? Yeah. And it like that phrase ends in a question mark. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. don't know. They don't know. And I think that's the opportunity for conversation that we're hoping that people have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Monique Jones and Ashley St. Armand, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I know you're at the heart of the arts and I'm so glad that you just took the stage. And I think our audience is going to not just love the show, but love hearing your story. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. This has been awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can't yes. wait to see the show here. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Roots that go down almost
just 100 years. That's composer and creator Ashley St. Armand and choreographer Monique Jones. Make plans to see the premiere of North this November 4th and 5th, a powerful new musical about a teenage boy and his mother who escaped slavery in the Deep South through the Underground Railroad. Tickets and more information available at chandlercenter.org slash north. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.